Hi, welcome to Leadership with Randy. I'm Randy Powell. Today you're listening to Lessons on Leadership, our weekly conversation with inspiring people sharing some of the stories and lessons from their journey. I always wanted to do something with immigration. I'm very active in the community and I do a lot of projects, but there wasn't something that like spoke to who I am and where I come from. And a huge, a major passion of mine was immigration. And another big part we have would be the story campaign. Um, just to have those stories published is probably like, we hope it's inspiration or I guess motivation for other immigrants to know that people have struggled and have gone through these difficulties, but look, they came on the brighter side and they're living off their dreams and they have successful lives here. We had an exciting conversation today with Komal Pri and Jasneet Kwar, two high school students who launched their own nonprofit entity to help other immigrant families find the resources and inspiration they need to pursue their own American dream. The Eye of an Immigrant has allowed Komal and Jasneet to interview other immigrant entrepreneurs and capture some of the lessons from their journey as well as those of their own families. Now let's go spend time with Jasneet and Kamal. Awesome. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see everyone. Been lucky to see some of you multiple times this week. So it's a, it's a, a really enriched week of uh, good times together, and it's great to uh, spend time together again this morning. And I was uh, fortunate to be introduced by Mike Meyer, who's a great friend and also on here to two really inspiring people that are off on this amazing launch to their journey already at a really young age at doing things. I mean, when I was in high school, I was just doing stupid stuff and they're like <laughs> doing amazing, inspiring things, you know, to, uh, help others. And they've formed their own, uh, organization, a nonprofit to help immigrants. So, uh, Jasneet and Komal Carr are both here. Did I say those names close enough, right? Yeah, yeah, you did. Perfect. And so good morning, Jasneet and Komal. Why don't you uh, take turns and introduce yourselves? Then I want to go back, way back and talk about your parents' entrepreneurial journeys and some of the courage that they faced as they left and went to a new land and some of the reasons why that you've told me. I think a lot of folks just don't know here in the U.S. about uh, India and where you come from and what inspires people to seek and yearn for freedom and to make their way here and some of the things you've learned from their journey. So uh, who wants to start? Who's up? I can go first real quick. But um, before I start, I just wanted to say a big thank you to Randy and to everyone here today. Kamal and I both really appreciate you being here and just listening to our story. So um, my name is Jasne Carr. I'm a senior at Olathe East High School. Um, in college, I plan to study computer science with a minor in business. And um, I actually met Kamal my junior year of high school. And that is where we started this passion project of ours. And yeah, we're just both really excited. And Kamal, if you want to introduce yourself. Yeah, so um, echoing what Jasneet said, thank you, Randy, for this opportunity. And thank you to everyone on the Zoom call for being here and listening to our story. Um, my name is Komal Kaur, and I'm a senior also at Olathe East High School. I was actually born and raised in Queens, New York, and moved to Kansas in 2017. And then in college, I plan on studying political science with a double minor in business and Spanish. Awesome. So let's go way back. You were telling me that your parents 
really needed to leave and come here because they were in danger. Tell us a little bit about that and what that was like for them. For sure. So um, both of our parents are from a northern state in India called Punjab, and it's on the border of India and Pakistan. Um, in 1947, the state underwent a partition. So half of it went to India and half of the state went to Pakistan, which splitted families and just split it, splitted many individual and many individuals. In 1987, the Indian government had ordered a mass attack against the people of the Sikh religion. My parents and Jasneet's parents practice a Sikh religion and we're easily distinguished in society because of the men's turbans and beards. Um, my parents are from two small villages. They lived about three to four hours away from each other. And my mom was in more danger than my dad because the Indian government, which meant the police in this case, was coming and picking up anyone in their preteens or young adults and killing them on the spot. Um, specifically one time, my um, mom and her family, was they were in bed. Um, this was late at night around 2 p.m. She has two other sisters and one older brother. And um, she heard a what was a loud gunshot, but she thought it was um, the generator blowing up, which is very common in India. And so she went out to go check on our generator and see if it was actually the generator. And if so, she would go wake up her dad and her dad would deal with it. But in this case, when she went outside, there was a huge pool of blood right in front of her. And she, um, the way that our houses are like organized, I guess, in India is my, since they're in a village, it was a house and all around them was land. Just like think about going into Western Kansas and like seeing those barns and then you have all that land when you're like down, going down the road. That's kind of what it's like. So when my mom stepped out in the distance out on the land was a pool of blood and two headlights shining right on her car. And the person that was killed was her neighbor. Um, and so she didn't say anything at the fear that if she said anything to anyone at that moment, the police would come after her family and her brother that was also in the preteens. And so she went back to bed. And then the next morning when everybody woke up, she told the neighbors and was like, this is what happened. But also the next morning, there was no evidence as to where he was that pool of blood, where they took him, nothing. He wasn't even there. So that was my maternal grandparents' kind of breaking point to say, okay, we need to send her away because she was the only one that went to college. And so she kind of had the most potential out of all the siblings because the rest did not go to college. So that was my mom's breaking point. Um, and they sent her to um, New York during all that, my dad um, was in a different village and his parents were in fear because of his age. Nothing specifically had happened in their village, but when you go out, if you're like simply going to get groceries or simply just walking down your village or whatever, you're in danger no matter what. And people stayed locked in their homes at all times. So um, my paternal grandparents were like, okay, we need to send him away because he was the youngest and he had five other older siblings. So they sent him to Europe and my dad was like town hopping in Europe, which sounds really fun, but not in that circumstance. Um, so he went to like Greece, UK. Um, I don't even know the places he went, but he would tell us so many stories about just the different things he would see. I mean, 
my uncle followed, my paternal uncle followed soon after, and they kind of um, were in different ends of Europe, but had no communication. So nobody knew where anybody was. My grandparents didn't know if their kids were safe, if they reached where they needed to go. Like there was just no communication back then. Um, but eventually after town hopping Europe, my dad um, made it to America and my mom and dad were, are in arranged marriage. So they were arranged back in India and they knew they were going to come to New York together. So when they finally reached there, um, my they were in a small apartment in Flushing and they were in a really dangerous part of Flushing. And so when they had their first kid, my older brother, they moved to a safer part of Flushing and then I was born and then we moved to Kansas. Um, okay. <laughs> um, so I guess- There's a lot there, wow. We wanna come <laughs> back to some of that. What about you, Jesney? <laughs> Um, so my story, I guess, is a little bit different from Kamal's. Um, both my parents did grow up in villages and in northern San India. And my paternal grandparents actually sent my dad away first. He um, actually landed in England, the UK, for the beginning of his childhood. They sent him away when he was like just a baby, just out of the fear and the dangers of where they were living. Um, he grew up in England, and he actually was one of four brothers. So he and his oldest brother actually went, but then the two remained in India because they couldn't afford to send all four at once to England. So my paternal grandpa took them to England and there they were raised for a majority of like their teenage years. And after that, they actually headed over to England. We went over to America. They landed in Kansas right away. And neither, uh, my dad didn't go to college and neither did anyone in his family. So they both went straight into the workforce um, they actually started in the restaurant business and he's been in there for the past 25 years. And then with my mom, she actually was arranged to marry my dad um, when they were younger, actually. So my dad came back from to back to India from America and that's where they got arranged. And then both of them returned back to America in Kansas just to start a family just for, you know, safer reasons and when my mom was married, she actually didn't get to see her parents for the next eight years afterwards because there's no connection. She really couldn't go back to India and the fear that she couldn't return back to America. So the past eight years, ever since like 1990 to like 1998, my mom had to stay in America with my dad and she didn't go to college either. So she went straight into the labor force. And just throughout those times, it was a really difficult time in their lives just because they didn't know any of the language. They didn't have any support here in America established. And they were just trying to find their way around and just to start a better life for their future family. And one of their main priorities was actually to send money back to their home country. They really didn't care what their financial life looked like here. They, would, they lived in a really small apartment and house in Kansas City, Missouri. But their main goal actually was to provide relief and money back to their family in India so they could live a better life there. And yeah, my, after the eight years, my mom had her first kid, my older sister, um, she's in college right now. And then she had me 2004 and then my youngest bossy sister in 2009. You know, you both have mentioned today and, and uh, told me when we met, you mentioned arranged marriages and, and right now you're enjoying your high school experience and planning for college. And you told me in India, you'd already be married and that's so foreign to us here. It's like something from a movie, but, but how does that work over there that you would have been 
married. I mean, you told me that over there you really had no rights. So the stereotype is that um, girls are less than men back in India, which um, kind of still lives. And so girls were supposed to go to school for a few years. And then when you turn around 18, you need to start learning like how to cook and clean and take care of people. And then right after like you get into the swing of those things, you take, you take over your mom's job and you start doing that for your mom. And then once you can do that, you're going to go get married because what else is there for life to you? That was the mentality. Um, and so Jasmine's mom, I believe, got married when she was 19, 20. Yep. She was 19. Yeah. Yeah. And my mom got married later just because around like 23, just because she was, we, they were in the process of coming to America. So um, that's the stereotype. Um, that's just what they see. Your girls aren't supposed to go to college. Um, primarily, I come from a family and majority of people from our state come from families and their fathers are farmers. So men primarily do all the work and then women um, just take care of things at home so that we were going to get married into those families, those families where the son does all the farming and the women do all the take care, taking care of stuff at home. Um, our parents were completely different <laughs> when they moved here. Um, my that my parents obviously had their first son, um, which when you have a son, it's celebrated. Like you're going to give sweets out, traditional sweets out to all your families. You're going to give out traditional outfits to all your families. You're going to throw parties. Like it's, it's an amazing thing that you had a son born. When a daughter is born, they do the complete opposite. And they're like, "Mm." it's like they mourn, they mourn that a daughter was born. And it's kind of disgusting to see because it's like, what's, really a difference between us and like I said our parents were different um my dad did the same exact thing that he did with my brother if my brother if when he was born he gave sweets to everybody when I was born my dad did the same thing same with Jasmine's parents and she can share that also on how her parents dealt with that um so I'm actually one of three sisters so my dad did not there's no boys in the family so um my dad actually he never us any different like he never treated guys and girls any different and growing up he always thought like being a girl dad was like the biggest blessing he could ever have and he continues like to share that with me to this day and I'm really thankful for my parents mentality and just everything they did for me just thinking of back like I always think about what life would be like back at home back in India what I would be what I'd be doing would I be in the college process like I am now or would I be just sent away already and it's actually really, I guess, like scary to think about just the differences between the cultures. But I just every day I just try to thank my parents for what they did. And I'm really lucky to have my parents and what like they they taught me throughout the years. That's true. And but I think back even before that, what your grandparents did, mm-hmm. I'm assuming from the way you've described it, they didn't have tremendous wealth. So this was a humongous sacrifice pick up a kid and ship them overseas. One, I can't imagine giving up my child willingly, especially a baby is, as you said, jazz neat and, and send away, but to just have the, the courage and the determination and muster the resources to do that. Did you ever find out much about just how they were even able to do that, to come up with the money to send them away? My um, grandparent, my paternal grandparents actually were like, I guess, the leaders of their village. So they did have some sort of wealth and some sort of like um, influence within their community. 
So they still didn't have enough resources to send all of my paternal uncles away. So they just had to pick the best two. And my dad happened to be one of them, or I guess the most mature out of the group, but he was a baby. And my oldest uncle actually had to take care of him when they went to India and when they went to England. And it was just the sense of um, just trying to get as many kids out as they can. Throughout the years, they started sending more of their children away. It was just the first two. My dad happened to be the first of the bunch to leave. So my paternal grandfather actually was in the army. So he had some saved up money from that and he was retired. So he was getting retirement money. And so that's kind of what helped him send my mom away and then eventually send my uncle away. And then with my, um, sorry, that was my maternal, with my paternal grandparents, um, they just had to work for it. They had to um, borrow money from some of the neighbors and then pay them back later. Like, it just wasn't an easy thing to like, just say, okay, pick up your things and go, you know, like there was just like, what do I bring? What do I not bring? Like, where am I going? Where Like there was nothing. So like they had to ask people um, and borrow money, which they eventually paid back, but it was pretty challenging. Before we move to today and I have an immigrant, Kurt has a question. Let's go talk to Kurt. Yeah. I don't want to get too far ahead because I'm sure these things, but I'm, I'm thinking as you're, conceptually saying we have to leave India or if that's the family's kind of um, attitude, what are some alternatives? Clearly, I mean, we're talking to you in part because you landed in Kansas for God's sakes, which is probably never would have guessed. Um, What are choices? What are alternatives and how do they stack up and why Queens, why New York, how Kansas, and and what are the choices and alternatives? So for my family, they didn't really have, they had two choices. So because there was a genocide going on, which was very dangerous, it was either leave or stay, and you had a 50-50 chance of staying alive or passing away. So like they, it was really, it was a difficult choice because back in India, you have your roots, you have your heritage, you have where you come from, like that is who you are. And then you come into a new country and you have to leave that behind and you can bring some of that with you specifically if you come to America. But there was, there was, there was these two choices. And so my dad chose Queens because one, it was on the coast. So if you're coming in from Europe, it's easier to land on the coast than it is to come middle of Kansas. Um, and then also New York, just because it was a more populated area. And my dad actually had one family friend that he knew there. And so one person is better than no person. So that's why they came to New York. Okay. And then same with my family. Um, just like Kamal said, it was all about choices. And the choice was for my parents to leave. It was just like the right thing for my grandparents to do. And I think they saw the danger of their community and all the opportunity than another country. There was, like I said, one, like Kamal said, one connection in Kansas. It was a really distant family friend. And like Kamal said, one is better than none. So Mm -hmm. I ended up in like California or like New York, but we ended up in the middle of Kansas, but who am I to, yeah, who am I to complain though? But yeah. Yeah, You're still young. You got time. And then, and then secondly, just the conceptually in that journey, I mean, those are life changes that 
most of us will never experience, I mean, let alone the genocide. But um, how important in the family is faith and that hope and that finding of one? So can you speak to that a little bit? My family is very important. Um, so we, I'm going to go into religion a little bit, but we practice a religion called Sikhism. And um, the primary basis of our religion is to give back to the community. And one of the main words that we have is called seva, which means selfless service. Um, so faith is very important to us. My um, dad and my mom grew up going to Godwara, which is our like version of church. Um, every Sunday when um, my parents came here, we were like, since the day I was born, I don't remember missing a Sunday from Godwara until I became a teenager and we got more busy. But like, it was very important to them. And it's also important to like the parents that they thought that they know that their kid is in a safe place. And I mean, my dad and my mom will always mention a lot of times, like the when they had their worst nights during this journey, like the one thing that they could do and lean on was praying. And so um, I think in that sense, faith was important to them. Yes, very cool. Thank you. And then same with my family, just like Kamal said, faith is like the biggest part of us. We are both, we both practice Sikhism. And just like Kamal said, every Sunday, if I'm not like working or really busy, I'm off to go to the with my parents. And um, a clear distinction to know if someone is in our religion is from our last names. So Kamal and I aren't related at all, but since we're both Sikhi, we have the same last name, Kar. And that's shared with millions of people across the globe just as a form of unity and equality. And then all the males have the same last name, which is Singh. So my dad's last name is Singh. My mom's last name is Carr. So all the females get one and all the males get the other. And that was primarily to, distal, to dismantle the caste system. So in India, there was a, there's all, it's known that there's a huge caste system, but different parts of India have different caste systems. So where we're from, if you were Jat, which is what Jasni and I are, you're on the top of the caste and you were just farmers. There was, there was no wealth associated to what caste you are in. It was the occupation that you have and you were born into a caste. You could, you couldn't like marry out or like just change your caste because you had more money. It was no, what is your dad's occupation? That is what caste you are in. So um, we were farmers and when our religion was founded, the, founders, I guess you can say, wanted to dismantle this idea of a caste system and saying that you are more than or I am less than. And so that's when we, that's when they established the last name core for all females and last name sing for all men, because you distinguished what caste you are in based on your last name. So different castes have like different last names associated with them. And that's how you found out like what caste you're in. And so that's why the last names of Kaur and Singh would dismantle that. And then Kaur translates to princess and then King translates to King. So it kind of means that, no, you guys are all of nobility. You all are great. Like there's no difference between everyone. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you both for having the courage to jump on with a bunch of old fogies and share your story. You're doing very nicely. So thank you very much. Thank you. And I think we had a question in the chat. It said, would you say that the caste system played a role in the opportunities you get? And I would say in India, yes, completely. 
um, you would be limited to what your parents did and you would have to follow in their footsteps usually. And there was really no leeway in moving up or down a caste system. You would pretty much just stay put throughout your whole life. And I think um, like Jasmine said in India, yes. In America, not as much. But I will say that there still is a mentality of are they your caste? I know in my family there is. And I know in other families there is for sure. So like the topic of arranged marriages, my parents told me that, no, we're not going to arrange you and your brother. Like you guys can marry whoever you want, but there are certain criteria as to who we want you to marry. And one of them just happens to be that they have to be in the same caste that we are in. And the problem with that, that I see is not number one, just a caste system, but also my dad's not a farmer anymore and I'm not going to go back and do farming again. So there's no really reason to marry inside your caste. But again, it's just that mentality of, yeah, you have to marry inside your caste. And that lingers into America, even if you come to a new country. Mm -hmm. So the idea of pursuing your entrepreneurial dream there, that's pretty much caste at birth. Then you, if you were to say, I think I want to go hike off to the next village and start my own business, that doesn't sound like it's appropriate. No, yeah, I don't think we'd walk to the next village either. I don't think like me and Kamal wouldn't be allowed just because we're girls. Okay. Well, let's leap ahead then to the awesome journey you've started called the eye of an immigrant. Let's talk about what inspired the birth of that and what you've been doing and what you've been learning with that part of your journey. Okay. For sure. So I always wanted to do something with immigration. I'm very active in the community and I do a lot of projects, but there wasn't something that like spoke to who I am and where I come from. And a huge, a major passion of mine was immigration. For the longest time, I wanted to become an immigration lawyer until I find out, found out what lawyers actually have to do. <laughs> and so, um, uh, yeah, so immigration was a huge passion. I had this vision in my head of what I wanted to do, and I just didn't know how to go about it. So I met Jasne, um junior year AP English class. We just so happened to sit next to each other because we looked somewhat same and we were like, we can become friends. Um, and that's exactly what happened. A few weeks later, I told her about this idea as we learned more about each other. And she was like, let's do it. So um, that's exactly what we did. We started it and then we did an internship with Startland KC and it was an eight-week summer internship where we were able to actually take our ideas and put them to life and actually um, have a structure of, as to what we want to do and have a plan. So after that internship, um, we started our storytelling campaign, which tells stories of immigrant families. And we actually have a few interviews we'll be doing today to get some more stories Um but that's one thing we do. We started with small businesses in Kansas City and local artists in Kansas City. And we shared their stories, either coming from immigrant families or being an immigrant themselves. And then, Jasmine, if you want to continue with the rest of our journey. Mm -hmm. So um, just backtracking a little bit. When we were in Startland, KC, um, we decided we wanted to become more of a hub or a center for immigrants to come to. More of like an access point, because when we were doing our research, we saw that there was a big disconnect between like existing existing resources and current users and the way that resources were so scattered and there were so many of them. 
it was hard to delegate what resources to use for your family circumstance. So when we're with Startland, I actually published our website where we have our story campaign and all of our other resources and initiatives that we do throughout like our time. And after Startland KC, like she said, we started interviewing um, business owners and our most famous story came from Cafe Corazon. It's a Latin coffee shop in downtown KC. It's absolutely amazing. They have like Latin inspired coffee and pastries. And Kansas City PBS actually reached out to us after we published our story. Um, they found us, um, they found our organization like really meaningful and they wanted to showcase um, what we've done so far. So we got to go on their filter podcast where we just discussed our journey thus far. And it was an amazing opportunity because we got to share our message with a much broader influence with like the Kansas City metro area. And after that, um, I guess we started presenting at a couple Rotary Clubs, and um, we actually were acknowledged by America's Promise Alliance. We won a grant for 250. It was the first little bit of money we got, and we were so happy to get our hands on it. And um, we won their grant, and afterwards, we started hosting immigration clinics, which Kamal can go more into. For sure. So one primary thing that we saw from our experiences and then I also interned with the immigration lawyer for a little bit to kind of get a feel for what lawyers do and how this whole process works beyond what I did for my family um, is the paperwork. It is so tedious, time-consuming, and expensive. So whether you're applying for a naturalization, if you want a visa, um, a work employment authorization card, whatever it may be, the application is very tedious and it even goes into details like about your grandparents. So let's say I needed to apply for something. I'd have to fill in information about my grandparents and then my grandparents' siblings and where they all live. And if they're dead, if they're alive, when they're all born, some of those things were really hard because families didn't know how to either get their hands on that information or how to not fill out that information, which you're allowed to do if you give the USCIS a legitimate reason as to why you don't have this information. So I saw that with the immigration lawyer, it was very difficult to get this tedious work done. I mean, I would be there for eight hours a day filling out paperwork for people. And it was, it was so tedious. Um, after I left that internship, that was something I wanted to bring over to I Have an Immigrant so that we can actually help people with their paperwork. And so we hosted a clinic um, in November during Thanksgiving break where we helped where we helped families fill out their information. So we didn't actually give any legal advice. We just told them that like, this is where you put this information. This is where you put this information. Because another thing with these applications, the language barrier, you might not understand a specific term on the application or what they're asking you to fill out. And so just simply saying, hey, you just put your social security number here, or you just put your alien registration number here is something that really helped them a long way because those two numbers are really common things that do get confused because people don't know like which one goes to which and it doesn't help that they have the same digits also. Um, so it was just small things like that, helping them figure out what information needs to go where. And then um, just as we continued on, we actually landed the opportunity to work with a lawyer from one of our presentations. He's helping us um, fill out our paperwork to become a nonprofit with 501c3 certification. And we're actually, we submitted our bylaws and articles of incorporation. So we're just awaiting his results. And prior to that, we did, um, we did um, present at a couple of Rotary Clubs. We were at the Overland Park South Rotary Club and then just the Olathe 
Rotary Club, I think. Yes. And that is where we actually met Mike Meyer. He's on the Zoom call today. So shout out to him. He's been an amazing support system and just our mentor throughout this whole process. We wouldn't be able to file or do practically anything without him. So we just want to say a big thank you to him. And he's been a really good influence and he has given us so many connections throughout the city. So just want to say a quick thank you. For sure. And echoing what Jasneet said, um, we had a vision as to what we wanted to do. And it was in the back of our minds that we wanted to become a nonprofit organization. But it was like, okay, so we need to do our articles of incorporation and we need to do our bylaws and all this and that. And we're like, this is just so much work and it's just something we don't have time for right now. So we're just going to like put it off till like this summer. And when we met Mike, he was like, yeah, no, you're not doing that. Like that's not happening. So he gave us the resources to help us actually get that stuff done. And then we met the lawyer and it was perfect timing. Um, and so we were able to file, but even more like we're meeting with him later today and he gives us so much information on like what our next step should be because again he has a charity of his own which helps a lot for us to see how he does things and kind of just have a vision as to like what we want our organization to be and our charity to be so thank you you know and we talked about this a lot when we were together of you know creating this uh place where people could come for resources what did you learn from your own parents' journey of coming here, knowing no one, not speaking the language and not knowing the resources, what would have been helpful to them, you know, as they reflect back that shapes what you're trying to do today? Um, I think one would be link assistance with the language barrier. Um, when you come straight out of a new country and need to file paperwork, I that would be difficult. Like imagine having papers in front of you and like in Hindi, like you would have no idea what to do, you know? So it, it was very difficult in that sense. Luckily, they knew some English because it is in the curriculum in India. Um, so they were able to use some, but one, having access to someone that can help with the language barrier, and two, having a lawyer. You have no idea how to go out in New York City and find yourself specifically an immigration lawyer when you know one person. So I think that was another difficulty. And then also just having resources, ask like, where can I go work? Where can I put my kids into school? Just small things like that um, would have helped them with like a lot of the stress that they had to undergo and take on. And another big part we have would be the story campaign. Um, just to have the stories published is probably like, we hope it's inspiration or I guess motivation for other immigrants to know that people have struggled and have gone through these difficulties, but look, they came on the brighter side and they're living off their dreams and they have successful lives here. So I think that would be the biggest thing, just seeing someone else succeed makes, is I guess a comfort in some side when you're especially like struggling with financials and things like that. If you can read someone else's story, you can connect with them and relate to them and hopefully that'll motivate you in all your future endeavors. Let's go to Nabal. Thank you, Randy, and thank you, ladies. It's so very, very nice to meet you. I really appreciate hearing your stories. And as an immigrant, I landed in America when I was 13, which was a couple of years ago. I'm curious, as you're interviewing all of these immigrants, what are you seeing as some of the core traits for success? Because I saw that in my own immigrant um, community when I moved to America, and I'd love to hear what you're seeing as what spurs them forward and how do they achieve the success that they do. Definitely say resistance and hard work. 
You will never meet an immigrant family that is not resistant to any barriers thrown at them. Like the amount of times my parents could have just been like, okay, we're done. We're going back to India. Like, this is not working numerous amount of times where they could have just given up. But they throughout the whole process, I have to say my parents were so resistant with everything that was being thrown at them. My mom didn't see her parents for over 10 years. I still remember the day that she got the green card in the mail. She was coming to pick me up from school and we walked everywhere in New York City. So she was walking to pick me up to school. She was on, this was like three o'clock. She was on the phone with her parents in India. So it's midnight over there. And she had a piece of paper in her hand and I'm like, mom, what's going on? What's going on? And she was like, she was shaking. Like it was something that like, it was the one card that she needed to go back to see her parents. She was shaking. She was crying. She's on the phone and I'm like, is this happy? Is this sad? Is this good? Is this bad? Like, well, what's going on? You know? And this was 2013. And when we finally got home, she's like, I got my green card. And I'm like, what's a, what's a green card? And like, is it just a green card? Like, what, what's a green card? And she's like, no, that means we're going to India. I'm like, what? India? And it was not even something that ever, ever crossed my mind. Like, we're going to go back home. Like, that's an option. That's a thing. Um, and then she called my dad. He was at work. My dad came rushing home. He called his family. And it was truly one of the happiest days of their lives because they were able to go back home. And so throughout that time, the financial barrier, um, barriers were like just like family problems going on back home. Just anything that was thrown at them, they always rise above. And it was with resistance and with hard work. My When we moved to Kansas, my mom worked two jobs. Um, over 40 hours a week. And my dad worked at night. I barely saw him. He just, in beginning of 2022, he just changed to day shifts, which changed my whole family's life because now we actually get to be a family on the weekends. So um, they were, they were, my mom worked two jobs. My dad worked all night. Um, and the main reason was to put my brother to, through college. And once that my brother graduated in 2021 and then he brought we bought our house in 2020 and those were their two biggest goals to have their kids go to college and to actually have a place to call theirs because in new york city um the house that we have like right now which is just like a typical four-bedroom house would probably be around like two million three million um yeah not possible for my family to buy so definitely would have to say um the resistance no matter what they will always rise above they will put in the hours that need to be put in and they will do anything at any means to make sure their kids are happy and there's food on the table every night if i ever want something the answer is never no it'll be like you'll get it and it'll always be a surprise um but they will do anything and everything just to put a smile on our faces and it means the world to us and I would say for my family, resistance and hard work, of course, but I would say like joy and gratitude. Growing up, my parents both worked in the restaurant business, so it'd be pretty long hours and I would like hardly get to see them because of like their polarizing schedules. But I remember they'd always be so happy and they would always come home with like food from work and they would like bring cakes and cookies and steaks and fries, whatever. And just to see them happy with where they're at in life and just so grateful for what they had even if we were in our smaller house, I just remember that our house was just full of laughter and love and joy whenever possible, whenever we got together. And I think that food, like in many cultures, was like the binding agent. 
And my dad's actually um, the executive chef at Bristol Seafood Grill. And my mom's the prep chef at the other Bristol in Leewood. And I remember them bringing home food and we would do all the cooking and we would have our house would smell so amazing that neighbors down the street would have to walk up to us and be like, what are you cooking? So I would say just joy and just the comfort of like your family and food honestly really brought my whole like neighborhood together. And it was just that sense of belonging. And I think that um, food honestly brought a lot of our neighbors together and which made my parents feel a lot more comfortable because even if you can't speak, food speaks for you. Honestly, I think everyone loves good food. And I would just say that just joy and the happiness that my family got to bring really was instilled in me. And I hope to provide that like happiness wherever I get to go. And I hope to make as many connections as I can through joy and through happiness um, in all my future years. So yeah, I would say joy and then food, of course, food. So Let's go to Jeff. I think you both are incredible. And uh, just a little food note, uh, having uh, was born in New York and a New York Italian, uh, as a Italian grandmother once said, food is love. So I totally get that. But um, yeah, I think uh, you two being seniors, I would have, as a senior in high school, I would have sweated through about six shirts right now. And you have great... Uh, presence and energy and i love it so so great but obviously your parents have been an inspiration and that's uh, your stories are phenomenal it's, you, you can't even imagine it um but you know, who do, besides your parents who do you look for for guidance whether that's people or books you've read i'd love to hear that i think for me there's a few people um one i look up to my teachers a lot and I am the type of person that is like, I'm really close to my teachers. Like I'm the good kid in class, but I'm also super close to my teachers. And so like, I will stay after class to talk to them. Like I will, they want to hear about me. I want to hear about them. And like, we'll sometimes eat lunch together. Like I'll go into their classroom whenever. I mean, I'll be walking down the hallway and I'm late to class and like, no one will ever stop me just because of like, they know that I'm probably just running late talking to somebody. Um, but I would definitely say my teachers, um, they are people that I can always go to and will tell me what I want to hear and what I need to hear. And so it's a perfect combination because sometimes what you need to hear is definitely not what you want to hear, especially like during the college process. Like I can't really go to my parents because they haven't gone through the college application process. They don't know what that looks like. So um, definitely my teachers, I can be like, hey, I'm applying to college and I have like, and right now I'm like, I have no idea where I wanna go. Like, even if I get into every single college I apply to, I have no idea what I would choose and what my first option would be. And I just had a conversation with a teacher yesterday about what that would look like for me. And that's one person. And then two, I'm definitely gonna put Mike on the spot here, but I would have to say Mike, um, there, he's someone that I can go to and he'll, also tell me what I want to hear, what I need to hear. But it also means a lot to me to like have somebody actually guide me and tell me what I need to do um, when I have no idea what's going on around me. So I would definitely see my teachers and Mike and like we can always text him and he'll give us like the right answers, like what we need to do. Like he'll always have the answer. So it's just really nice to have an adult that you can go to and call a friend. And also he's a great mentor. And I would just have to say Mike as well. My um, 
parents and they're always super busy. And like I said, they didn't go through the college process themselves, but I would say Mike's always been the person, like my go-to person that can just talk to about anything. And he's a really good listener in a sense where he'll like take what we said, take it with, um, like he'll absorb it and then take some time and then respond. And his responses are always really insightful and helpful. And I feel like he's like my, like just a really good friend. Like I can walk into a store and he'll just like, like we can talk for hours at a time, which probably isn't good for his business, but I absolutely just love talking to him and taking him away from all um, his work he has to do. But I would have to say Mike and just my um, managers at work. I work at Shields and there everyone is super bubbly and kind and they just help me through everything I need to. So yeah, I would say them. That's great. Mike says he's going to cry. I think I'm going to cry and I'm not even involved in it. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. I also want to jump in. Hey, thank you for the wonderful words. And I probably will cry, but you know, you, you run across a lot of people who say they want to do things and a lot of people who ask for advice, but very few actually want to do things and very few actually take the advice and do anything with it. And these two are the most amazing people because they listen and they execute. Um, they also came last Saturday night to our uh, Band of Angels Gala. Um, <clears throat> they were there early to volunteer. They were there then to, to watch kind of how we did it. But then they were there stacking. They went and changed out of their gowns and put jeans back on and were stacking chairs and cleaning up the venue and moving trash. So um, it's their their fortitude and their, their ability to really take um, – mentorship and direction and then put in the work on the backside is just incredible so i'm so super proud of both of you i'm i really it's it's really really cool can't wait to see where this goes that's awesome you think about the interviews you've done are there any stories of folks you've captured that really resonated with you and inspired you and you you look back and say okay if that person can make it i can make it too I think Cafe Corazon was a big one. Um, so the owners um, were, I believe, immigrants. And when they were going to buy, like they were trying to find a spot to have their business, nobody believed in them. Nobody trusted their business plan. Nobody wanted to sell them a store that where they can make their cafe, um, which is definitely heartbreaking to like have such aspirations to do great things, have a solid business plan and somebody tell you you're not worth it. Now, like we're not going to give this to you. That was, that would definitely be devastating. And so, um, when we talked to one of the owners, she was like, we ended up buying a spot, um, in a corner spot in Westport. And the only reason we were able to get it was because a car had smashed into the side of the wall and there was a lot of damage that was done and they just needed to sell this piece, this store and so we were we bought that store and the only reason we were able to buy it one because it was way cheaper two because they just needed to sell it so they couldn't say no to our business plan and then three because her husband went the other owner was able to actually fix the wall so they fixed the wall they painted a beautiful mural on that side of wall absolutely gorgeous i mean i think that's what they're known by that mural on the side of the wall they painted beautiful murals on the inside of their stores um and now they're opening a the second location actually this friday which is so inspiring to have to see like 
people telling you, no, you're not worth it. No, we don't trust in your business. No, we don't want to give you this land because we don't think it's going to be successful. And then being very successful, being very famous in Kansas City. And also like they've won several awards um, about like the best coffee, like the best hot chocolate and stuff. And then now being able to open a second store and persist through that and being able to actually accomplish what you want to do. And then coffee is such a big part of them because that's where it's coffee is going on in America. So being able to use, um, again, food as comfort, um, I think is really inspirational. And I would just say the same thing as Kamal did. Um, Cafe Corazon was, I think, our biggest supporter story-wise. And what they did for us was I could never like thank them in a million years. They opened so many opportunities for us. And if you guys ever want good coffee, please go there. It's like absolutely phenomenal. And you have to get their pastries too. <laughs> Let's go to Elizabeth. Okay, Nabal and I are going there for coffee next week. <laughs> Hey, I just, you know, echo what everyone has said. You guys are really amazing. And could you please come and talk to my teenagers and tell them to have a better attitude about, um, no, but as I sit here, I just, I'm flooded with, oh my gosh, how do we get these women out in front of, you know, political leaders and, and social groups and educating and, but so I've got all kinds of ideas, right? But this is your organization. This is your life. This is your, your what's next. Um, so I'd just love to know a little bit more about where, where you do see yourselves going with the organization individually. Obviously, you've got college, which is a fantastic experience to embrace. Um, but do you, have you done any of that visioning? Do you, are you just sort of, you're doing amazing things and it's fine to just keep putting one step in front of the other and seeing what happens, but what would be your dream and what can this community do to maybe support that? So I think down the road, once we get our 501 safety certification, we want to st start helping for um, the paperwork. Uh, I didn't mention this earlier, but if it is a typical family of four, um, the filing fees for one person would be about $1,000, depending on what you want to do. That's like the typical median. And then um, if you need a lawyer, then the lawyer, depending on the lawyer you hire, they might charge hourly or they might charge based on your case. So around six, $7,000 for a family just to submit their paperwork. I'm not even get it, just submit it. And then if they deny it, you don't get the money back. It's gone. Um, so I think one primary goal for us would be to help pay for those, um, those that paperwork and those filing fees. And then if a lawyer is needed to help assist with that. And then right now we are in the process of actually developing our board. So um, when you, when we submitted our, um, when we submitted our articles and our bylaws, we needed to establish um, some board members, and we are in the process of recruiting, recruiting about um, seven to eight board members. And um, that is just one of the biggest things that we're focusing on right now. So we're able to actually successfully accomplish the legal, these goals that we have laid out. And then, um, Jasmine, if you want to add something to that. And just like um, while you were saying our college experience, you know, we are both seniors and we're both actually in the process. We get our decisions in March. So I just can't wait to find out. Like I'm like dying to find out where I'm going to end up. But we applied to most of the same colleges in the hopes that we'll end up together. But if something happens or we aren't going to be going to the same college, 
I think we'll really keep this up. This is a passion project for the both of us. And that we feel like all the time and dedication we've already spent to this, I think we'll continue it in college. Just through like the virtual world too, because we stay up and do FaceTime calls until like midnight. And we do these Zoom meetings with everyone here. So I would say technology is really going to help us in our future if we do end up parting ways. But I think Kamal and I are going to be pretty good business partners for the rest of our lives. Well, I don't know how the journey brought you to uh, Kansas, you know, which which I probably think is better than than Kurt alluded to, but <laughs> but it's but it's awesome that you're here. I'm glad the journey brought you here. You just inspire me, and I look at all you're doing, and I think there's no reason I can't get up and work a little harder today to make a difference. So you're just doing amazing things. You got a tremendous future out there with both individually and this organization you've built. And I know you're going to have a positive impact on people's lives. And I know you've had a positive impact on this group today. I just see so many people are inspired by you sharing your story, having the courage to share you and your family stories and your journey. And there's a lot we can learn from, from you guys about resilience and grit and toughness and perseverance and, and caring about others. So thanks for spending time with us. I loved it. Can't wait to see where this goes. Uh, you, your um, site, I know Mike copied in here. If anybody wants it, it's in the chat, uh, the eye of an immigrant.org. So folks can go there to learn more. And is, uh, is that the best place for them to uh, contact you? Yes. All of our contact information is on our website and just quickly, um, I want to say thank you to everyone on the call for again being so supportive and for all your kind comments on in the in the chat. Um, it was very sweet of everyone to listen to us um, and be so supportive. And then also, if anyone um, knows of any opportunities for us to speak in front of other groups and get our message out, we would love to do so. Um, and so, once again, thank you so much for your kind comments. It, this was very sweet of everyone, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, just thank you again. I really appreciate you guys taking this time. I know it's pretty early in the morning, 830, but thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate you hearing us out and for everything today. So thank you again. And thank you to Randy as well for setting this up. We both really appreciate it. Awesome. Well, you guys have a great weekend. We'll see you all soon. Okay. Thank you, ladies. Bye. 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 Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this week's Lessons in Leadership with Komal and Jasneet and hearing about their work with The Eye of an Immigrant. You can learn more about their work at theeyeofanimmigrant.org. You can see the video of our talk at leadershipwithrandy.com. Now let's get out there and work hard to make a difference. Keep believing, dreaming, and doing big things. I hope to see you again soon.